When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Met Aaron have issued this status yellow rain warning for us here in uh, Cork, our neighbours in Kerry and also in uh, Waterford. It comes in from four o'clock uh, today where very heavy rain is expected from four o'clock and they're leaving the status yellow rain warning in place until six o'clock tomorrow morning. So that's a long period of time when we can be expecting some very heavy weather, uh, heavy rain. That's obviously going to lead to localised uh, flooding and it's also going to make driving conditions particularly tricky rush hour uh, this evening I think is going to be very very difficult as well so be careful if you're out and about driving and if you can stay indoors and stay out of the rain it's probably the best advice. A very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We've got John Paul taking your calls. Anything you want to share with us this morning we love to hear from you 0818 103 103 you can text and WhatsApp the programme as well to 0862 103 103 and let's start on a story uh, this morning uh, because amid uh, all the familiar names yesterday on day one of uh, Cheltenham there was a relative unknown to a lot of people certainly not to people in uh, North Cork uh, and the winner was Michael O'Sullivan who pulled off a double in style yesterday and Michael O'Sullivan is from Lambertstown outside of Mallow racing experts predicting a very very bright future for Michael he won the winner of the opening race now that was for trainer uh, Barry Condon and, and that was the, the Marine, he, he was aboard Marine National and that was in the Skybet Supreme Novices Hurdle. That was his first win of the day. But then he followed it up with another successful ride for a Gordon Elliott horse. It was an 18 to 1 uh, Jazzy Matty and that was in the sixth uh, race. And it means that Michael O'Sullivan from Lombardstown goes into day two of the Cheltenham Festival for 2023 as the leading rider. And he has another three rides on day two. So we wish Michael the very very, very best of luck. And actually, all of the papers today are covering stories about Cheltenham, but also covering pictures uh, from Cheltenham. And I suppose one of the uh, most uh, poignant for me was the one of trainer Henry de Bromhead and his wife Heather and uh, jockey Rachel Blackmore. Obviously, they were celebrating the victory of uh, Honeysuckle in the Mayor's uh, Hurdle on day one of Cheltenham. But you can see uh, in the face of Heather de Bromhead, the tears in in her eyes while it was a, while it was great joy 
that Honeysuckle had won yesterday, uh, all of them very much thinking of their late son, uh, Jack. So it was just a highly emotional day, especially for the Bromheads. And and this horse, the fact it was Honeysuckle that won, it was the late Jack had praised Honeysuckle and described Honeysuckle as the best mare ever. The young jockey had appeared on RTE talking about the horse shortly before his tragic death last uh, September. We all remember that he was on in a beach race in uh, Kerry and he was just uh, 13 and actually Rachel Blackmore she was visibly emotional when she spoke after the race and she said we all wish a very special kid was here but he's looking down on us and I just think it was the face of his mum yesterday you know joy that the horse had won but you knew very much where her thoughts were yesterday and I suppose the De Bromheads would give it all up to have their beloved uh, Jack with them but pictures of them all over the papers today. 0818 103 103. If you are a regular traveller on the Mallow to Mitchellstown Road, you'll be thrilled to have heard the news that the new section of the road is going to officially open to traffic from this afternoon. Uh, the road has been closed since the end of September last year. There was major work being carried out. There's uh, road widening uh, works in particular uh, was going on. And of course, it was all been done in the interest of uh, public safety. It's a road I know well because whenever I need to travel to see family in Clonmel, it's a road that I, I would take. Uh, and parts of the road, definitely, you, you know, you were you were nervous driving on, particularly with big trucks coming around corners, etc. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm actually driving the road at the weekend. So I'll be looking forward to getting out onto the new road and of course up to now people uh, while the road was closed if you wanted to go to Clamell or anywhere up in that direction you had to go uh, via uh, Fomoy so it's good to know the road uh, back up and open. Now Cork County Council have confirmed that various scheme finishing works they're going to continue but it, they don't need a road closure to finish off these works and those works will be going on until about the middle of this year but from they reckon about four o'clock today the new section of the road will be officially open to traffic and people who've had to commute and use that road on a daily basis will be thrilled to hear that and I think as well for people living in, in that area a number of people and it always happens they ignore the road closure signs then of course they get so far up the road and realise oh they can't they, they can't go any further so they end up then having to go down back roads and since last September we've heard from people living on some of those back roads and minor roads that said the amount of traffic they have had to put up with and they really are back roads that were never designed to take extra traffic so for people living in the area good news that the road officially opening from uh, four o'clock uh, tonight and how often have we heard and discussed modular homes for Ukrainian refugees on this programme and every time modular homes get mentioned be it that local people don't want the modular homes in their area are people just talking about housing and the housing crisis in general? Time and time again, we have heard people saying, why are the government and why are the councils not building modular homes that could be used to take people away and off the council housing list? Well, thrilled to see today at a city council meeting on Monday, the councillors approved a modular housing scheme of 90 units. Now it's going to be at a brownfield site on the Besborough Road in Maham. Now seemingly this site was previously home to an electronics company but the electronics company closed in 2008 and it's 
been basically a brown site since then. So the scheme will see the construction of six houses and then there'll be two apartment buildings. One will be three to four storey high and the other will be four to five storeys high and they will contain in total 84 apartments. It will also include the provision of 49 car parking spaces. There'll be 188 bicycle parking spaces. Won't Eamon Ryan be happy um, uh, with that? And an engineering planning report stated that it's intended that the construction of the development will be modular. Now, the scheme seemingly went out to public consultation in November. Now, there was five submissions and concerns raised included the height of the proposed uh, development and potential privacy issues. But in a report issued to the councillors yesterday, the council's chief executive, Anne Doherty, said that the proposed layout of the scheme has been very carefully considered so as to maximise separation distance between new and existing properties and Doherty noted that the development will be located adjacent to two-storey housing estate and on a road containing many commercial premises and it's contended that the development would not be out of character for the area. The report stated that the road safety audit, that's been undertaken for the development because that raised some pedestrian safety concerns and obviously then that went on to provide uh, recommendations and that will all be implemented at the design stage. So recommending the scheme for approval and Doherty said the scheme would sustainably sustainably upgrade what has been now a long, derelict and unused site. But the most important thing, it'll bring much needed housing for applicants in need in Cork City and people who are on the Cork City housing list. And it got the approval at Monday's meeting of the Cork City uh, Council. So I think that will please people who have been saying, why is all the focus on the modular homes gone for the Ukrainian uh, refugees? Why not consider them for people on the council's housing uh, list? And now let's wait and see, will other local authorities follow suit and develop uh, similar um, developments? Less than 10 minutes at half past 10 this morning, a coffee morning is kicking off at Balancholic Garda Station. Can we wish everybody good luck with it? And the coffee morning at Balancholic Garda Station is on until one o'clock today. All of the proceeds raised from this morning's coffee morning are going to the Motor Neuron Association and to the Corkdown Syndrome's Field of Dreams project. So if you're in Balancholic, pop into the Garda Station, please, for a cup of coffee. Just on housing, during the week we have been discussing houses that are vacant and we were discussing derelict grants that are there for derelict and vacant properties and people can apply uh, to the government for grants but the big bugbear for so many people is the fact that there are boarded up houses or vacant houses, houses that could be used particularly uh, perhaps houses that belong to the council. Well Liam in Carrigaline reckons he knows of 12 houses in Carrigaline that he says are lying idle. He says from his knowledge they are due to be for social housing. He says the houses have been handed over but he said nobody's moved into them yet he said it's a real shame to see it and it is when you hear and see the number of people that are living in emergency accommodation who are desperate to move out of a hotel particularly families who are finding it very difficult to raise a family in a hotel and want to move in to uh, their forever home so to hear of any houses 
like that lying idle and 12 that's a large number of houses for uh, the town of uh, Carrigaline and then Eleanor was on to us by uh, email from uh, Tipperary and this is when we were talking about the grants that are, are available you can get a grant of 30,000 for a house that's lying idle and you can get a grant of up to 50,000 if it is a derelict uh, property but Eleanor says there is one slight problem with some of those grants she says Patricia there's a big problem with land registry and delay in re-registering properties and she knows what she's speaking about because she said she's two years now trying to get a title deed sorted out and she's still waiting for the registration. So she foresees a lot of problem with many of the derelict properties. They have no title deed and no one is having the conversation. So somebody might identify a, a derelict house that they would be willing to invest their money and take the grant, put their money into it and do it up. But if there's a problem around the title deed and then even if there is a title, it seems within the land registry, I don't know what is the issue with re-registering it and why it's taking Eleanor uh, two years. But she says it's a problem that's there, but nobody's talking about it. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Moves to upgrade older houses was voted on at European Parliament level in Strasbourg yesterday with the aim to reduce admissions in line with 2030 and 2050 targets. To find out more, I'm joined by Fine Gael, MEP for the South, and that's Sean Kelly. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. Nice to meet you again. And, uh, and great to chat with you. Now, this is the Energy Performance of Buildings um, a Directive, and it's all to do with making our homes energy efficient. And there's talks of um, buildings being carbon neutral, uh, for example. But I suppose the big problem that people will say straight away is this costs a lot of money. Will there be funding available, particularly grants for people to be able to afford to retrofit their homes? That's a very important question, Patricia. You're absolutely right. But to put it in context, people probably aren't aware that buildings are responsible for 36% of our greenhouse gas emissions and also utilise 40% of our energy, which is mainly fossil fuels. So if we are to reach our targets and decarbonise our economy, we have to deal with the building stock, full stop. Now, how are we going to do it? You're absolutely right. It's costly. There will be issues in relation to maybe raw materials, skilled workers, etc. But without giving a direction from European level, a lot of this wouldn't happen at all. And one of the key aspects which you pointed out absolutely correctly, which I fought for when I was negotiating on this file, is the financial supports will have to be available. And one of the first ports of call for me was the European Central Bank, where we have one of the directors, thankfully, an Irishman, Philip Lane. So I sat down with him and I said, what can be done? And he said, if the EPPD is accepted at European level, then that gives them a signal and an opportunity to make green renovation grants available to consumers. Sometimes I think these loans will be obviously done by the pillar banks, let's say, in Ireland. And because of the direction from the ECB, there will be at very, very low interest rates, possibly no interest rates at all. That allied to grants and fairness to the government, they have announced over the last number of months, increased grants for innovations. That's all going to help people to innovate their homes. 
But one other point, Patricia, is very important because it was mistakenly headlined across Europe that there were going to be huge penalties on people and they were going to be thrown out of their houses if they didn't absolutely refurbish their buildings. I got rid of the penalties. So there are no penalties. It's all about incentives. It's up to the European Union and the governments and any possibly local authorities to help citizens make it happen. And of course, it also applies, Patricia, to not just private buildings, but particularly public buildings. So a lot of work, yes, a lot of finance, but without this, probably nothing would happen. Yeah, and I know you mentioned that there are already schemes in place here in, in this country and people can apply uh, for, for grants. But people for lower income families, those that are applying for the free home energy upgrade uh, scheme. I mean, currently I was reading a report, I think it was from Friends of the Earth, who were saying there's waiting lists of up to three years because that's been under-resourced. We need to put, if we want people to buy into this, we need to put the resources into it. Absolutely correct again, Patricia. And one of the sad statistics is that people in low-income houses who are in vulnerable positions, the rise in electricity prices because of the rise in gas over the last 12 months will means that they are actually 10 times more vulnerable to price hikes, etc., than those who are living in efficient buildings. So we have definitely to start there and help them and ensure that their buildings will be healthier, more comfortable, more efficient, and as a result, their bills will be lower. Yeah, and that, that is the key to this. If we all lived in energy-efficient homes, all of us would have lower bills, and we would also lower our, our energy consumption. Yes, and I think this is a point that hasn't been emphasised enough, especially by... Um, crazy headlines across Europe that the European Union is forcing us to do this and forcing us to do that without mentioning the support there and without mentioning the fact that I got rid of the penalties. So you're quite right. This is the way it must be done. There must be helped and particularly as in vulnerable households and those in social housing. It's not an excuse to say we can't afford it, it won't happen because if that's the case, they'll be paying bigger and bigger bills as they go forward and those in the efficient buildings will be paying less and less. One of the schemes I'm trying to encourage is a scheme which is called pay as you save, so that actually people wouldn't, it wouldn't cost them anything maybe, or very little, because as they save money through less bills, that then that would pay back a difference for any loan that they got. I think schemes like that, long term, can be big help. But they must be explained to people and this is another provision which is very important. We've introduced what we call a one-stop shop, and we've asked that that not be at national level, but at regional level. So people can go to the regional one-stop shop, find out everything that's available, find out who are the best builders, who are the actually qualified builders, and electricians and plumbers, etc., to do the job so people can get all the information before they embark on this big enterprise for everybody. Will we have enough skilled workers though, Sean? As of now, the answer is no. And this is something we pointed out. And actually, as a result, the European Union has declared this year the year of skills. So there's going to be a huge emphasis on, first of all, doing an analysis on where the skill shortage is. Secondly, how that skill shortage can be addressed. 
and then to make it happen within the member states. So the combined effort, I think, will ensure that we will get to grips with this as quickly as possible. And that's, again, why one of the points I put into the report, which, again, is not reported on, I also put in where economically and practically feasible. So if it's not, if, if it can't be done because of a shortage of workers, then obviously you have to review the dates by which you want to make it happen because it is nobody's fault, as of now, but you must address it and ensure, of course, that the skills, the skilled workers in particular, are encouraged to upskill and to be available to help citizens reach these very important targets. Yeah, because it could actually have a positive effect on jobs, but we need to get more people into the trades. And I, th- I think that's probably a discussion for another day, is encouraging young people to take up trades. Yeah, actually, this is hugely important and not, not enough emphasis is being put on this. And I was a guest speaker with the county councillors down in Bantry from all over Ireland a few weeks ago. And I emphasised that. I said, we've got to change our attitude to jobs. Every job is as important as the next. There are no elites when it comes to jobs. Because without everybody doing the job they're doing, we wouldn't have a functioning society. And we need to put far more emphasis, particularly, I think, at career guidance level, on telling people the importance of each job so that they can all gravitate towards the one that suits them best. I think that's a very, very important point. And I think you're, again, highlighting something that we need to emphasise more in the general debate okay. at public level. All right, so so the, the directive was passed yesterday. Do I assume now that each country will devise its own national renovation plan to implement the regulations? That's how it'll, ha- that's how it'll work? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, this is not new because this has been going on before because this is what I call a recast or an updating. And one of the jobs I had a year ago, I was the rapporteur for the implementing of the Energy Performance Buildings Directive. And in that analysis, we found out that an awful lot of the member states' submissions were totally deficient. And they have been now told, go back and upgrade them and put the resources behind it to make it happen. So yes, that's what you'll be seeing happening next. But the Commission will monitor it. And if they're not up to scratch, they'll be told, get moving quickly because your citizens need it, your citizens deserve it, you've made a commitment, so now honour that commitment. Okay, and of course in the long run it'll lessen our dependency on fossil fuels and that's really what it's all about. And that's what it's all about because we are talking about reducing uh, dependency particularly on Russia for gas and oil etc. The best way to do that is uh, to avoid having to use fossil fuels and use renewables as much as possible, and make it happen. And, of course, then we have a huge challenge, which is a talk for another day, Patricia, how soon are we going to get all the offshore wind off the west coast of Cork and Kerry and Limerick and get that functioning? That's a big debate for another day. Okay, just finally, a question in for Sean. Um, How would it be practical for somebody over the age of 60 to spend between 40 and 60,000 euro? This is doing a complete retrofit on their home, an upgrade on their home, even with the grants that are available, to make it pay back over their lifetime if they are in their 60s. Well, that's why I got rid of penalties, so that people can assess the situation. Is it worthwhile? Can they do it? But also, Patricia, that's a full retrofit. They can do a phased retrofit. 
they could do insulation, for instance, in the beginning, and that would reduce enormously their bills. So it doesn't have to be a total retrofit. And this, again, is where the one-stop shop would be able to advise them. Okay. You can only spend according to your means and according to the grants and the loans you get. You have to make an assessment. But the important point is that they must be encouraged and facilitated to do so. And without that, not going to happen. Okay. That's a very important point. Okay, I no doubt we'll talk about this again in the future, uh, Sean. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you very much, Patricia. Anytime. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is MEP for the South, uh, Sean Kelly, joining us this morning from Strasbourg. 0818 103 103. Someone says, How does uh, MEP Sean Kelly expect low income families to do any of these type of renovations to their homes, even with their grant? The jobs cost huge sums of uh, money. Uh, People within the EU know nothing about poverty. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie only yesterday we still had uh, receiving calls in from listeners wondering if the decision that was made last week to cancel this year's St. Patrick's Day Parade in Middleton could be reversed and was there any hope of it going ahead? Well it seems the day will be marked in Middleton and to talk about what is now planned I'm joined by Alan uh, DD. Good morning to you Alan. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very, I'm very well, and, and you're very welcome to the program. Now, it won't be the usual St. Patrick's Day parade. Let's clear that up first in Middleton. But a small committee has come together to mark the day. Can can you tell us what's planned? Certainly, yeah. So we'll be starting the, the day at half two, um, and we'll have plenty of music. We'll have bouncy castles, um, a bronco bull face painting, fancy dress competition for the children. You know, loads of different things. And this has been organised by just a group who got together when the announcement was made to cancel the parade, is it? Yeah, basically, we there's a small group of us who um, take care of the Christmas lights in Middleton. Um, and we got together on Monday evening, sat down, put together a plan of what we can and can't do, um, and just went from there. And the council, to be fair, were on board straight away. You know, I have to give them credit there as well. And were any of you guys involved with the St. Patrick's Day Committee? The parade committee? No, 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 no. It's separate. a complete separate group. Okay, all right. Yeah. Was there a deep sense of disappointment, Alan, when the original parade was cancelled? There definitely was. There definitely was. People, uh, people were, um, and businesses were very disappointed in the news. No, look, it's understandable. You know, there was probably lots of different reasons for it, but yeah, the people were definitely disappointed. Well, I know we spoke with Councillor Daniela Toomey, who was part of the uh, committee, and you could hear it in her voice how disappointed she was, and it wasn't a decision that was taken uh, lightly. But the big issue, and it's not just an issue, let's be honest, for McCroom, lack of volunteers. This is an ongoing issue, isn't it? Trying to get people. Everybody wants these events, but nobody's willing to help out. Definitely, yeah. I mean, we see it ourselves with the with the Christmas Lights Committee. Now we wouldn't need as many volunteers or, you know, anything like that. Um, but to find people is difficult. You really have to have a face on approach you you nearly have to physically go and ask people, you know. Yeah, and I know Daniela was saying, look, they've had to cancel it for this year, but they'll come back bigger and better next year. And maybe by not having it this year, maybe people will step up to the mark next year and help out. Definitely there, there would definitely be a lot more awareness, um, for the need of volunteers to get these things done, you know. And, I mean, Middleton's a great town. I mean, yes, I can probably almost guarantee that loads of people on the day would have turned up to help. 
but the fact that they didn't put their name forward was probably an issue as well, you know. Well, yes, I can fully understand it from the Commission's point of view. They couldn't run with that, oh, people mm-hmm. might might turn up. And and by all accounts, Alan, it was a well-liked parade and big numbers have always turned up for the parade. It was indeed, yeah. I mean, I helped them last year with, with, with volunteering for stewarding and the numbers have always been big in Middleton for, for um, the St. Patrick's Day parade. You know, it's always been well-liked and well-supported. So that's why there's a need to have something for the local people. There is indeed, definitely. I mean, I I can understand people will have other plans made. They'll be going elsewhere. It won't be a huge, massive crowd that we're, I suppose, traditionally used to on St. Patrick's Day. But it's still something there for the community to enjoy, you know, and the children. Yeah, and let's be honest, there will be people who are not in a position to travel to another parade. You know, you know, not everybody drives, for example. So people who live in Middleton and want to stay in Middleton on the day, that's very much who you're focused on. Exactly. And I mean, and support the businesses who have put in the effort for St. Patrick's Day, you know. They'd have extra stock and extra staff and all these kind of things. You know, and anything that can bring people into the actual town itself um, to support those businesses is also a plus, you know. Okay, so where where is your event going to be staged? So we're in the um, park green next to um, the Super Value Shop. Okay, and what time? Where the match would normally be. And the time again? It's from half past two. From two, from 2.30. And are you in need of any local musicians or are you well covered at this stage? We ha- we're well covered now at this stage. We had a, a huge, we were a bit nervous about music yesterday, I'll be honest. But we had a huge number of people contact us last evening. So we have all that covered now. Isn't that brilliant? It's a great musical town though, isn't it? There's a lot of talent in Middleton and the wider area. It is indeed, yes. And I suppose I'm kind of shocked really that, you know, the musicians who came to us Obviously, they've got their own geeks and things planned for St. Patrick's Day. And, like, for instance, we've got one who is actually digging at the time, but he's going to run up, perform a few songs, ah. and run back to the gig. Ah, isn't that brilliant? <laughs> <laughs> so, but he, he's, a, he's a local man. He supports everything we do. He's fantastic. Uh, David Dostobin. Well done, David. Well done. Well done. That, 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 that is lovely. But, and you're very much with the Bouncy Castle, so it's very much about the smallies as well. It is indeed, yeah. And I mean, with the, um, what's that other thing called, the Bronco Bull. Yeah. There's something there for the older group as well, whether it be teenagers or even adults as well, you know. You sound like you're going to get up on the Bronco Bull, are you, Alan? I think I'm my passionate. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of fun. <laughs> and what about costs, Alan? Um, is there costs involved and how are you covering that? There is indeed, yeah. There's, um, there's been quite a nice bit of costs. The, the council has helped us in that respect. Great. Um, the Christmas committee at the moment is funding a lot, um, and a few of us have actually even put money into it ourselves. Well, as well. done, well done. I mean, I'm sure if you pass around a few buckets on the day, people would be more than well, willing yeah. to. Yeah, a couple of businesses have come forward today to offer sponsorship, which have is they? absolutely amazing as well. You know, um, yeah. and we give them a credit and a shout out once we've. Uh, Got a bit more organised. <laughs> well done. It's a great town. It's a great. It's a great town, and and I love to see communities and local people doing something because it's all about the community and it's a community pulling together. It is indeed, and that's what it's all about. I mean, when I first suggested the idea, I was a bit nervous, but then I realised, look, I'm in Middleton. I know we can pull this off. You know. 
Um, are you are you, as with the parade? Are you looking for volunteers, or have you are you are you sorted with the numbers to to make it all work okay? Um, we've got I think it was twenty six at the last count. Now that is plenty, but we will have more on the day. If anybody comes up to the end of the day, they'll be given a high visit, they'll get a job. There's no <laughs> <laughs> All right. Listen, we wish you well with this. Um, I, I think it's great. Uh, so well done to everybody uh, involved, uh, Alan. And everybody's keeping their fingers crossed that it'll be dry weather for St. Patrick's Day because that's so important as well. Listen, thanks for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Patricia. Good, Take care. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Alan Deedy, uh, that little committee that got together. Well, they are the Christmas Lights Committee, but they're organising that event. Just if you're in the Middleton area, particularly, as I say, only yesterday, we again had people on saying how disappointed they were, were uh, to hear that the parade had, had to be uh, cancelled. And also, uh, we really wish the St. Patrick's Day Parade Committee in Middleton the best of luck for next year, uh, because they really are determined that they're going to come back in force next year. But they'll only be able to do that if people are willing to help out and a volunteer and I know there are St. Patrick's Day parades being organised for right across uh, the city and county and of course they can't happen uh, without all of the wonderful volunteers who step forward every year so well done to each and every one of them. Helen in Glanmire uh, oh no I'll get back to Helen Glanmire's in a minute because I want to read up uh, more on that one. Um, this is uh, there's no name on this. Great to hear that uh, the, something an event is going to be happening in Middleton now on St. Patrick's uh, Day and saddened to hear that the parade had to be cancelled the problem being volunteers but it was always the same people in every ta- town for years who were always the volunteers and you would see them volunteering at every single event you'd see the same uh, faces but this sister says it's a generational change now the people who traditionally had volunteered over the years are getting older and some you know may not feel well enough to be able to do it others have died off and the younger people coming through are the ones who are not willing to get involved in volunteering in volunteering so it's the younger generation that need to need to step up to the mark and start volunteering not just at the St Patrick's Day Parade but at all other events because there are lots and lots of things that have been affected because there simply are not enough uh, volunteers so it's a generational uh, issue how we sort it I really don't know on the the old, the older houses, and the move to upgrade older houses that's been voted through by the European uh, Union in Strasbourg yesterday. The aim, by the way, is that all buildings will be carbon neutral by 2050. That's a really, really amb- ambitious uh, aim. Tommy Abandon says, "Will this then give homes a better BUR rating? If so, in turn, it will give a better mortgage rate, as many banks offer a green rate, which can be lower than the ordinary rates." Yeah, and you're absolutely right. The plan is that they according to this directive now as I say it is, it is a directive they're not going to be fining people but the aim is for governments uh, to try and get the funding together to help people and put loans in place that will allow people to bring up their homes and to and to bring up the borough rating of their homes the plan is that uh, buildings would have a minimum uh, rating of E a borough rating of E by 2030 and then D by 3033 with the long term goal of uh, renovating all to a zero emission standard by 2050. Now I do think the zero emission, the all buildings being carbon neutral by 2050 it would be fantastic for everybody if it was but I think that is a really really ambitious project but we now have to wait 
all of the individual countries, including us here in Ireland, will have to devise this national renovation plan. There are already schemes in place that Sean touched on and there's grants available for that. But that plan is going to have to be up way more if they want every single building to get involved uh, in uh, this. Because somebody's asking about the current grants, saying how long do those grants take to draw down? I've never heard people complain that they take very long. All I've ever heard is people saying that they got the, the grants. So I don't think the current grants, that seems to be a very efficient uh, system. If you go on the um, SEAI uh, website, they've got all the information, including things like one-stop shops. Um, but I've never heard anybody complain that there was delays with any of the grants. And people can tell us if you've got any kind of uh, renovation work done and you got the grants that are currently available, how long do they take to draw down? You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Thank you to Michael in Blackrock, who we helped out this week, who needed his title deeds brought over to his solicitor in Lanzarote. He sent me on a picture to say documents delivered to solicitor. Thanks a million. (laughs) Thanks to everybody involved. And thank you in particular to Mary, who we hope is having a lovely holiday in Lanzarote after doing her good deed in taking the package for uh, Michael. And hope, Michael, everything goes well in the court with the signing over the title deeds and all of that. Okay, a couple of shout outs of things that are happening. Let me mention them for fear the time runs away on me. The North Cork Beekeepers Association. They're having a lecture tonight. If you'd like to find out more about beekeeping, you can go to the Osama Centre in Mallow, 8 o'clock start. And please note that the health checks are available at the Mallow Co-op Superstore on the Park Road in Mallow uh, today. Now, they're underway since 10 o'clock and they're there until 12 midday. The HSC Community Health Officer, along with a community diabetes nurse and two public health nurses, will be on site to help and advise on any health concerns you may have. They are especially encouraging men, please, to go along. Men aren't great about getting health checks so please go along and avail of the services but it's not just for men women can go as well but it's a free health check at the Mallow Co-op Superstore today the HSC running that until 12 noon uh, today so you've got about 45 minutes uh, left if you want to get down there now on housing and the whole issue around homelessness and the whole issue around people living in emergency accommodation and what can the government what can the local councils do I mentioned that the city council have approved some modular uh, homes that are going to be built for people who are on the city's council housing list and that certainly is news that's going to be welcomed. Uh, Keith in the city says he was driving across the city yesterday, the north side of the city. He couldn't get over the amount of board up houses. He found it quite unbelievable that these homes can't be opened up and uh, given back out to people. Surely it will alleviate the problem of so many people on the council's housing list. He says in areas of Nachnahina, Nachnahina Heaney, he reckoned there was about 20 houses uh, boarded up. He also thinks the council now needs to start thinking outside the box. And rather than waiting for their own workers or contractors to go in and do up the house, why not give the keys to people who would be willing to live in the houses and do up any work that needs to be done and let them take the cost of whatever it is away from the rent. We need to look at other ways. And we've, listen, Keith, that suggestion has been made, I don't know how many times, particularly people who are, you know, very handy, very skilled, good handymen have often approached the council themselves and said, give me the keys. I need to house my family. I'm willing to do whatever work needs to, uh, to be done. And there's always a big fat no to that. And health and safety gets mentioned. And what if something goes wrong and there's an accident or if work 
is done and it isn't done to the right spec and there's a whole host of things that can go wrong that the council worry about that they then will get sued for and that's one of the reasons they always put forward. It seems like a simple enough solution that the people would renovate and do whatever work needed to be done themselves but it certainly has never been uh, looked at. Michael in Castletown Bear says it is good to hear that at last councillors and planners have decided to go down the modular home route for people on the local authority housing lists. Every single county council around the country should be directed to supply X amount of modular homes or even two and three bedroomed mobile homes that are fully insulated with central heating. The houses are not short of ground. They have a lot of land available to them and these sites could be ready in jig time. This is 2023. Nobody should be sleeping under the stars, says Michael. Yeah, and nobody should be trying to raise families inside in a hotel room or a B&B or a guest house uh, either. So Let's, let's see if we're going to see more of a move on the modular homes. And then Mossy in West Cork says, is it fact or fic- fiction, a simple yay or nay, that there are so many unused and unoccupied houses in this country? They, that would help what is currently the country's embarrassing housing crisis. It appears there are houses and homes out there that people could live in. I'm only plucking a figure out of my head, says Mossy, but even if the government invested uh, 100 million euro to improve these houses, uh, would it not be a solution? Maybe the problem is house prices, but certainly rents would come down. Well, I was only, you said yesterday or the day before, yesterday I think I mentioned uh, figures that had come out from the Central Statistics Office on the last census that showed there was 167,000 vacant houses and apartments. But when you dig into the figures, nearly 48,500 of the homes had been vacant in the previous census in 2016 and they were still vacant in 2022. And actually, when I was talking about those figures, it actually prompted the Minister of State for Local Government, Kieran O'Donnell, saying to Cork County Council that they need to get the finger out and apply for more staff if it's more staff are needed to turn around uh, some of these uh, vacant houses. So yes, they're very much aware of the number of vacant houses. We simply have uh, too many of them. Now, I mentioned St. Patrick's Day and we mentioned about volunteerism and the reason that the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Middleton has had to be cancelled uh, because there is lack of volunteers and that led somebody to to give forward the reason why we've less volunteers now and one listener was saying that it's a generational change that the older generation were always great to volunteer and if you think back uh, over the years in your own hometown or area of the city it's the same volunteers the same people that come out to volunteer for everything and to help out for everything and that many of these people now are no longer able to volunteer sadly we've lost some of them they've passed away and one listener made the point that it's the younger generation coming up they are not getting into volunteering and that's affecting not just things like the parade, it's affecting other events as well. Well, Laura in Carrigaline then, who I'm assuming is that younger generation, she says, I moved to Carrigaline. She says it was about uh, 10 years ago, but at the, at the time that I moved to Carrigaline, my sons were involved in sporting clubs in the Douglas area. The Douglas area was where we'd been renting and living. Then we bought a property in Carrigaline. But what Laura has noticed is happening in towns like Carrigaline 
Donegal line and other towns like Middleton, any, any kind of the commuter towns, people leave in the morning and they come home in the evening. They go off, they go to work and then they come back in the evening and they're really only sleeping in their properties. If they have children, their children are often involved in sporting events outside of the town where they're now living. They can if they're working in the city. It's easier to bring the children to a sporting event in the city and then collect them uh, after work or if they've lived in a previous area and the children were already involved in sporting clubs, they stay with those local sporting clubs. And she reckons that's having an effect on a lot of the computer the commuter uh, towns and it's affecting the level of interaction and hence the reason that you get things like the parade in Middleton having to be cancelled. And then there's uproar and everyone is complaining. So Laura says when new homes are built and new people move into an area, the people already living there need to work at incorporating and welcoming the new families into their new commuter towns and stop them driving off into the city because all they seem to do then is come home, go to sleep and relax but they're not getting involved in the community and more work needs to be done around that. That's from Laura in uh, Carrigaline 0818 103 103 and then Helen in Glanmire was on to us to say what do people make of the decision by Tourism Ireland not to turn the world green this year? The buildings that usually turn green, the things like the Sydney Opera House and the Arc de Triomphe in in Paris, they have been asked this year not to go green. And the reason for it, Tourism Ireland are concerned about the energy uh, crisis. Now, Helen Glamire is saying some, you know, may just go ahead and do it anyway, but um, she reckons it's a missed opportunity that surely the buildings and these sites uh, will be lit up anyway in whatever colour, that they light them up every night. It's just that they change them to green for us on St. Patrick's Day. Now, I was unaware of this, but it's seemingly it's been announced uh, today. Um, it's been announced uh, today and Helen is right. Tourism Ireland, the the global greening, it's what it's called. It's been put on pause uh, for this uh, year. Temporarily, uh, temporarily paused. The journal.ie are reporting that Tourism Ireland made the decision due to the global energy crisis. In a statement to the media, they say for 2023, given the current energy crisis, Tourism Ireland has taken the decision not to promote the Global Greening Initiative. Nonetheless, St. Patrick's Day is a hugely important date in our calendar and it traditionally marks the start of the tourism season for us here in this country. It is a unique opportunity for Irish tourism and Tourism Ireland will be rolling out a huge programme of promotional activity over the coming weeks to leverage the opportunity. Uh, but the, and what I didn't realise, but they've asked... They haven't asked any of the buildings to go green this year. And I didn't realise that the greening campaign was paused last year. And that was due to the invasion of Ukraine this time last year. The then Taoiseach, and of course last year was Micheál Martin, wrote to the Irish embassies across the world asking for the landmarks and the sites to be lit up in yellow and blue. And of course, this time last year was in solidarity with the Ukraine people. And little did we know we could be asking them to do the same uh, because we didn't think a year on that that war would still be underway. So we won't be seeing any of the landmarks going green or, you know, some may decide to do it themselves. But it's an interesting point and I don't know the answer to the point that Helen makes that surely these buildings are lit up anyway. 
and we'd have to check in with all of the individual countries. I think a lot of those buildings, Helen, are not now being lit up every night because of the energy crisis. Buildings that traditionally were lit up every night, they've taken the decision not uh, to do it. And I don't know if it's the case with all of the buildings. But yes, for sure, if the building was going to be lit up anyway, wouldn't it be nice to think that they would light it up green for St. Patrick's Day? 0818 103 103. Your thoughts welcomed on that are tourism, Ireland right uh, not to push for the global uh, greening and are they right to think of the energy crisis? Your thoughts welcomed. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A project coordinator is required. It's to join an experienced engineering team in the North Cork area. You need to email your CV to carry.murphy at osborne.ie. A CNC machinist is wanted for Bandon. The number to call is 023. 884142 360 machine drivers they are wanted for work in Mallow and on the Model Farm Road CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com and Canturk Printers they're looking for a print finisher CVs please to sales at canturkprinters.ie You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by simply going online now. Just go to our website, c103.ie forward slash jobs for more information. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. As we head into day two of this year's Cheltenham Horse Racing Festival, a call has been made on the government to consider tougher curbs against gambling advertising as the public faces an avalanche of ads around the racing festival. To explain why, uh, Labour Party Senator Mark Wall joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Mark. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, I know this is all about making uh, money uh, for the companies, but have you personally noticed bookmakers ramping up advertising in recent days ahead of the Cheltenham Festival? Yeah, I have, Patricia. A number of people have contacted me as well to say that they're inundated. It's like they, they describe it as a tsunami of, of, of gambling ads coming at them. And, and it's just not Cheltenham. It's, it's Champions League. Uh, you know, it's Premiership football. You know, it's GA football. It's just incessant what is happening to people. And, and people just wanted to stop. Uh, they want to go back to enjoying sport. And that's why we first, when we sat down about this, we, we had a conversation amongst friends. And that's how this came, you know, that, that, that we had that conversation. A lot of people are having the same conversations and similar conversations in the last couple of weeks that they just want to break from gambling ads. They just want to enjoy their sport again. And, you know, the Belgian authorities have led in this uh, from the, from July that they will be banning gambling ads, uh, you know, for 24 hours a day. Uh, and it's something the Irish government should consider. Uh, and we will be pressing that through the legislation that's upcoming uh, this year, Patricia. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, let's call a spade a spade, Mark. Gambling can and does ruin lives. Unfortunately, it does. And, 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 you know, I've been talking about this since I got elected to the Shannon, uh, you know, two and a half years ago. And, and since then, I've been contacted by so many people that, you know, partners have, have described how they, they got a letter in the post that, you know, the mortgage hasn't been paid for so long and that the house is now in danger of being re- repossessed. And there's so many stories like that. And, and just recently, I'm dealing with families who have spent considerable life savings in the last couple of months, uh, you know, gambling in, in the hope that they were going to do better, not realizing the harm and obviously the, the financial ruin that they're now in. So it is a huge issue. 
it's not a huge issue for everyone, and that's important to say as well, Patricia. The Labour Party are not against gambling. There's no issue here with banning gambling, but we want to protect the most vulnerable in our society, and particularly those that have an addiction. Th those people need to be protected. And seeing gambling ad after gambling ad at all hours of the day from early morning to late at night is just not acceptable at this stage. And of course, because our lives have changed with when it comes to the internet and doing everything online and accessing everything online, gone are the days when somebody who was addicted to gambling had to wait for the betting shop to open. People now can be gambling at any hour of the day or night and it can go on 24-7. Yeah, and that, that, that's a huge issue. And it's, it's a problem, as I say, a lot of people that I get to talk when I talk to, to, to partners, etc., they tell me that one partner is actually sitting beside them uh, and, you know, they only found out uh, too late that, that that actually partner was gambling on their phone while they were actually sitting watching TV or whatever, you know, just in, in general conversation. And that's what's happening. It's so easy now to gamble. As you said previously, people had to go into betting shops and particularly younger people, you know, there was older gentlemen and older women in there that would take care of them and, you know, may even inform their parents that they were in the, the gambling shop. That's all gone. And the big worry for those that are treating addiction at the moment, Patricia, is the amount of younger people that are presenting to them. And we have to, we have to take care of the younger people. We have to, you know, provide the services for them that, that if they do develop addiction, that there's somebody there for them. And, you know, the research, and we need to do more research in this country, will tell you that there's a growing and growing numbers of addiction, particularly among young people. And we need to protect our young people. And do I take it the Belgium government who've announced the, the plan to ban gambling 24-7 uh, and it's right across TV, radio, newspapers and online. I mean, they're just doing a blanket ban. I'm assuming they're seeing the similar problems. You know, this is a problem that's affecting, yeah, yeah, it's worldwide. Exactly, like... Yeah, it, it is worldwide and, and a lot of EU countries and even non-EU countries, the UK are doing a lot of research on this and we're finding out more and more. And depending on what research you read, Patricia, you, you know, the, the problem gamblers are those with an addiction in this country range from 33,000 in one report, 55,000 in another report. But another report says that up to a quarter of a million, 250,000 people could develop an addiction. And that's the worry of where we are at the moment. We need more research, but we also need the gambling legislation to come through. Now, in fairness to the government, this is the first piece of legislation we've had before us. It's long overdue. And in that legislation, as it stands at the moment, gambling ads would, would be subject to a watershed at 9pm. We feel we need to go further than that because we feel 9pm is, is prime viewing time. You know, but like that's, it is coming down the tracks. It will be for a discussion. And, you know, all political parties across the board are discussing this. They are, they are talking and, and, you know, collaborating on this. And we would hope that there is an outcome that, that will protect the most vulnerable and particularly those who have developed an addiction. So what you're saying, the new gambling uh, regulation bill, are you saying it doesn't go far enough? Yes, that's what we're saying. And in fairness, it's been developed. Uh, you know, it will be proposed. It's past second stage in the doll in, in, in just last December. So now it's been pre prepared for committee stage uh, and it will go through pre-legislative scrutiny uh, at committee stage, the Justice Committee. Then it will come back into the doll for final stages and then on to the Shannon, uh, for, for to, to debate in the Shannon. So what we feel is that we need to extend that 9pm watershed you know, we, we're calling for an outright ban because we feel people need a break. We need a couple of years where there's no gambling ads to allow people to back it, to enjoy sport and to allow those people with addiction to get the treatment they deserve. And, you know, to, to as I say, to get them back enjoying live sport once again. And that's what we'll be calling for as we work through this piece of legislation. And others have supported that. Uh, and, you know, that debate will happen over the coming meets, weeks and months uh, in, in the Oireachtas. And, and I wonder, uh, Mark, for people who are battling, you know, gambling addiction, are, are all of these ads, are they triggers, I, I wonder, for them? 
Yeah, I get asked this question a lot, Trisha, and if you talk to colleagues of psychiatrists, if you talk to anybody who has had an addiction, and you know, and I've dealt with a number of them, I've been on shows with them, and I deal with them on a regular basis, because, you know, it's important that we have the conversation I'm having with you today, but they will tell you, you know, even though they've been through treatment, when they see the gambling ads, they are tempted, and that's the problem that we have, you know, only recently I heard of one person that, that uh, has a gambling addiction that was tempted to bet 1,000 euros of his savings just because it was a gambling ad, so that was the trigger that had set him off and that's what's happening so that's what the, those that have an addiction will tell you that's what, what those that uh, you know are treating those with an addiction will tell you uh, you know and those that that are in that space are supporting a ban on gambling ads as i said just to give everyone a break and just to treat this this is a public health issue and we need to treat it as such because it is coming down the tracks very fast at us. Yeah, and I'm, I'm interested to hear you say trying to get accurate figures on this because I know whenever we do any interviews about gambling as an addiction, it's always one of the points that made it's made. It's such of all of the addictions is such a hidden addiction and and therefore very hard to get up to date accurate figures. Absolutely. And as I say, you know, in, in, in the figures I've quoted you this morning, that's three different reports. You know, there are four or five others that I could quote to you. But the, the issue here is, unfortunately, those that are dealing on the, the direct to face of dealing with addiction are seeing increasing numbers, you know, particularly when we were in COVID and coming out of COVID. But it is a hidden addiction. And that is the serious problem here. And uh, many times, as people will, will tell you, I'm sure, on your show, that they did not know that their partner or loved one was actually gambling until those letters arrived in the post. And that's when it hits home and hits our artist so to put a prop jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it blue nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price go to blue and experience the convenience of shopping blue nile the original online jeweler since 1999 that's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Figure on, figure on it. You know, they're struggling to put a proper figure on it. But we can take it that, you know, if you're talking about the College of Psychiatrists or others that have prepared reports in this space, that potentially we're talking about maybe 200, 250,000 people have the possibility of developing an addiction and somewhere, you know, short of 100,000 or so have an addiction or are in the process of developing addiction at the moment. So those are the figures we have at the moment. But as I say, the good news about this uh, legislation is that there will be more reports done. 
there's a social fund to be created as well to help those and provide finance for those helping with addiction that's very important as well so we just can't get this legislation through quick enough in my opinion and the opinion of so many public representatives that are dealing with this on the cold face every day uh, almost uh, Tricia. and it's at it's at committee stage now isn't it Yes, so to be yeah. prepared that it went through second stage in the doll. The latest reply I got from the minister was just last week. He goes back to a number of public representatives that, that have shown an interest in this to say that it's been prepared for committee stage. That will happen, he says, in the coming weeks. It will then come to final stages in the doll and then go through the Shannon. And the minister has consistently said, in fairness, that he wants this enacted in 2023. And most importantly as well, and important to say, for the first time ever, we have a gambling regulator appointed in September of last year. So that's another positive development here. So, you know, the legislation needs to happen and the Minister has committed to that happening this year. You're very passionate on this subject, Mark. Where, where does your interest stem from? Well, my interest stems from the amount of people I deal with, Patricia, because, like, you know, when you deal with somebody, when I sat in front of someone at my clinic in, in, in Kildare on Monday who had told me that they had gambled a very considerable amount of savings and, you know, to hear them crying, and literally they were crying in my, in my clinic, of what to do next, that's, that's why I'm passionate about this. There are a lot of people that can gamble, gamble safely. And, you know, I have bet in the past and I'm sure I'll bet in the future. I can control it. But when you have somebody presenting to like that in front of your clinic, that's when it hits home. That's when you know you have to do something about this. And that's why, as I say, originally, when we sat down and I sat down with a couple of friends, you know, the amount of gambling ads that were coming at, at us, we just felt it was too much. And that's where this started. And since then, in the last two and a half, three years, I've spoken to so many people and people need help. And that's why I'm passionate about it, Patricia. And I think a lot of people are getting more passionate about it because it's an increasing problem. Yeah, it, you know, as, as, as I mentioned, it like it absolutely destroys life. I'm thinking, I, just, I think of that guy's name, um, Tony Ten was the name of the book. It was his, yes. it was yes. his name yeah, under yeah, the yeah. gambling when, yeah. when, he, when he used to go into, yeah. the, into the betting shops. Yeah. I mean, his story of, you know, he, I mean, he ended up in jail, stealing from work yes. from the post office. But like yeah. he talking about, you know, the night before his wedding, he was gambling. It was just, and his wife had absolutely no idea. That's why it's such... Absolutely, and Tony's doing absolutely great work in fairness with with Exern Gambling, uh, who's an organisation who do great work uh, on the ground and he's going around to schools to have those chats with with, with schools, secondary school children in, in particular and that's very important here but you are right, as I said, you know, it is that letter that comes too late that the partner, the loved one, is not knowing about their gambling to the greatest extent until it's too late. And, you know, there's so many sports stars after coming out in the last year yeah. who have come out and it's GAA, great to have those and GAA players in particular. G- GAA players in particular. And it's great to have those conversations, you know, and you could name so many of them. But it's important that they're the role models and it's important that they have that conversations and are given a platform. And every one of them are asking for some proper legislation to come through. Gambling will continue. We don't have a problem with that. But we just need proper legislation to protect the most vulnerable and show people that you can develop an addiction from here. And that's exactly what's happening at the moment, Patricia. Yeah, and while it mightn't be on your doorstep today, none of us know when, uh, you know, ourselves or a loved one can get sucked into this world because it can just happen so quickly. Yeah, and that's that that's that's what happens. It's it's you know, and and the the marketing companies for the gambling companies are are are, are very good. They develop this social outlet that you have with your friends, you know, and you see these, these young gentlemen, mostly young women as well, out gambling, and it's a great social, which it is for so many people. But for unfortunately, for a growing number of people, you know, it's isolated. It's by yourself. It's in a room. It's on a phone, and those people need help. And that's why we need regulation. That's why we need to protect those and let people. There will still be bookie shops open. There will still be gambling. 
that's okay but we need to protect the most vulnerable and we need to get their stories out and we need to support those that are helping with the addiction as well Patricia. yeah and let us all enjoy the sports as you say without the constant exactly. bombardment exactly. of gambling I really enjoyed our chat Mark thank you for that and yes, thanks thank for joining you. us uh, good you. morning Just to you that is uh, Labour Party uh, Senator uh, Mark Awal RTE Entertainment is coming to Cork and they're looking to meet potential contestants for a brand new quiz show called The Money List. Now, who doesn't love a good quiz show? Joining me with all the details is Kate Brennan-Harding, who is broadcaster and producer with RTE. Good morning to you, Kate. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome to the programme. Now, who are the ideal contestants? Is it people who know a little about a lot? It is indeed. I mean, the main thing for us is that it could be you could be a college student. You could be somebody that's working from home. You could be somebody that's out busy all the day or you could be a retiree. The entire thing about this quiz is going to be so much fun. You're paired up with somebody. So it's not just your own knowledge. You're going to be paired up with somebody that you've never met before. And you get to uh, pit your knowledge against somebody else. And uh, so we're looking for people who, you know, you might be interested in sports. You might be interested in music. You could have a general knowledge about lots of different things. You don't have to have in-depth knowledge about loads of things and you just kind of need to put yourself forward and you could win loads of money. So how would you describe the quiz show? Is it is it mastermind or is it leaning more towards like tipping point in the chase? I think you'd be leaning more towards the dailies, the dailies <laughs> quiz shows like the chase. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those things, you know, I, I think that so many of us watch quizzes. They're so popular. And like I've been working um, on production with this show for the last uh, couple of months. We're in pre-development, obviously. And one of the things for me is, you know, learning how many people watch quizzes all the time. My own mum's the same. And I'd be watching the quizzes and I'd be somebody shouting the answers at mm. the television. And I'm sure there's plenty of people do that. Or there might be people who, you know, think the answers in their head. They mightn't be as outgoing. But the thing is if you're one of those people then this quiz would be for you. Yeah and we all love those quiz shows where you have a chance of at least answering some of the questions. But that's it. And the thing is, if you're paired up with somebody, you've got double the chance, don't you? Yeah. So, you know, like I think the other thing that's really important, we're coming down to Cork in April and we're going to be doing uh, casting auditions down there. And we'll also be going to Limerick as well. We're going all across the country. And like, I suppose what's really important for me, I lived in Cork for 10 years and I really want to see good Cork applicants (laughs) applying. Do you know what I mean? So that's why I'm on the phone to you, because I'm like, right, I'm going to take on getting Cork and getting people in and applying, you know, Um, because it's, you know, I think it's so important have diversity outside uh, and, and represent everybody in the country. Um, yeah, and, and we all know somebody that's good at quizzes and there's also yeah. a huge amount of people who do the table quizzes and there'll be there'll be groups of friends who get together for table quizzes and some of them are really, I mean, the amount of knowledge that they've got stored in their brains. They're the kind of people. Well, be those kind of people, but the thing is, even if you're not a big quizzer, but you're somebody, that's what I'm saying, if you're watching you know, you're into watching quizzes or, you know, it's if you're a big quizzer, absolutely, we want you. But if that idea of that might put you off from applying, don't let it because everybody knows something about something and it could be, you know, it could be your lucky time. You could be coming up, it could be, film, we're filming in June and you could be in with a chance of winning a, a lot of money. No, it, yeah, because it's the, the money list is, it's called, so it's it's all cash prizes. It's cash prize, yeah. Okay. And I think one thing that's really, uh, that I find exciting about this, potential for excitement that it is, is big is that if you, you stay on so if you're paired up with somebody and you win that night yeah. you've gathered, gathered your money you've got you've banked that and you go into the next round oh. and you get a chance to win it all over again and you bank what you've won yeah you keep what you've won and okay. you uh, go on to this uh, like basically winner stays on so if you are not staying on then you're out yeah. what you've already won you've accumulated you keep 
Oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's, it's it? a completely new concept, is it? It's a completely new, sh- it's a new show. It's new for RTE and yeah. we've been in development, if, development with it for the last couple of months. And like there's a big team here of us who are, who are um, creating it. And there's some of us working on the actual quiz side of things and some of us working on casting. And we're really excited to bring to go around the country, to be honest, to get the auditions in and to get people and see. Because I think people after the pandemic are going to be really uh, up for uh, taking part in an RTE quiz. You know, um, I know myself, like plenty of people got involved uh, with quizzing through Zoom during the pandemic, mm-hmm. and, you know, another way to kind of pass the time. So maybe you're one of those people who was who late to quizzing and would like to be part of it, you know. And there are, let's be honest, there are people out there that want their thirty seconds of fame as well. You'll, you'll Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. You know, if you if you think you've got it, uh, we're you know the auditions, as I said, they'll be taking place in Cork at the end of April. And what we're asking people to do is, we need an app. We obviously need people to apply okay. online first. Um, and it's very easy. It takes about three four minutes. Uh, the application form it's on rt.ie forward slash the money list. Now I know, I believe you guys are going to be kind and put it up on your own website we are indeed well, yeah we are indeed which is brilliant really appreciate it and uh, you know maybe you're listening to the show right now and maybe there's somebody you think would be really good at it as well maybe get in touch with them and let them know um, about the application process because we're going through and we're calling people now who have applied and we're putting them through to the auditions and uh, there'll be a team of us down in Cork and Limerick I know that some people might actually be closer to Limerick yeah, as well we, and, so, and we have know, a lot of listeners across the border in Limerick as well exactly. what, what happens yeah. at the casting auditions what format will that take well, that's the thing. I I am not privy to all of this information. Okay. But the main thing with the main thing with casting is that we'll be bringing people in and we'll be seeing, you know, obviously a little bit about their knowledge, their personality. You know, um, maybe we one of the things we might be doing is thinking about, oh, that person might be good with this person over here. Do you know what I mean? But we mm. wouldn't be doing any of that until the show. It's mainly to just see how you are, how you are, um, not necessarily under pressure because people will be, you know, we all know that coming in and auditioning for things can be a bit nerve wracking. But it's about maybe putting people at their ease and seeing what they're like and then you know bringing them forward for the uh, for the show itself well done and you the idea is you're hoping to have contestants from all over the country Absolutely. Yes, exactly. And that's why, you know, it's very like it's so important that we have representation from across the country. So we're like we're also going to be in Sligo and Athlone if anybody's listening, happens to be driving through Cork right now and is listening um, and anybody and everybody can apply. Um, but like we'd really like to get those additions full. We're, we're very busy with applications. We've had a huge, um, a huge application, a huge amount of people applying as it is. Um, and it's just a matter of kind of going, OK, we're coming to Cork. Come on, Cork folks. Uh, Step up to the mark. Step up to the mark. Yeah. Now you said you were recording as when did you say? So we're filming at the end of June. June. Um, we're filming across June. Okay. Um, and we're looking forward to it then, you know, we'll be going, we'll be all set for a brand new RTE quiz uh, come the end of the year. It'll be, oh yeah, it'll be, it's a, yeah, because it goes into uh, post-production and all of that. So it exactly. will be the autumn schedule, would it? That, that's what we're hoping. Yeah. I can't confirm that, but that's what we're hoping, yeah. Okay, as I say, we, we will share the details on our social media uh, as well. And you were in Cork for 10 years. Where, where why, I was. what were you doing in Cork? I used to live in Clonakilty and I used to have a restaurant down there for a number of years. Ah. So I, Cork's very close to my heart and, uh, you know, it's a second home. I have a lot of uh, friends down there that are sort of more or family friends, if you know what I'm saying. And did you did you run your own restaurant? I did, yeah, for years. What was it uh, called? Clonakilty. It was called the Oracle. Oh, the um, Oracle. I, I know. I remember it. I'm a big, I'm a huge, huge fan of, of Clannacilty. I do. I do. Lovely restaurant. Oh, I, and hope why, you, I hope you enjoyed it. I did indeed. And and what what made you pack it all up and, and head to the big smoke? You're in Dublin, obviously, now, are you? 
I'm in Dublin, but you see, I'm one of those strange Dublin people. I'm a Dublin person that moved to Cork, fell in love with rugby, fell in love with Cork and now support <laughs> monsters. So uh, I'm back. I'm back uh, in Dublin because I got into working in radio and in uh, TV and I, okay. I love it. So that's why I'm here. And have you completely given up the restaurant side of things? I have. I just enjoy eating in the <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we all? Exactly. Listen, I, I enjoyed our chat. Good luck with it. And we very much look forward to this brand new programme at The Money List. Really? And we do hope you get loads of Cork contenders. Oh, me too. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Patricia. Thanks a million, Kate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Kate Brennan uh, Harding, formerly of Clannacilty, now up in the big smoke in Dublin working with RT. If you want to take part, uh, please uh, please contact them and get involved because she's trying to get as many people from Cork as possible. And who knows, you could be winning big, big money. Jenny has been on to us who volunteers with her local Tidy Towns uh, committee. They're a great group of volunteers who are always looking for new helpers as well. But she contacted us today to say, has it other people noticed the amount of used vape pens and vape products that are dumped all over the place. We have a huge, huge uh, problem with them, uh, says Jenny. Well, actually, I was only reading in yesterday's Echo. There was a a piece in it about these uh, single use vape products and they actually, and I didn't realise this, contain lithium ion uh, batteries. And there was a guy from the city, a a resident by the name of Chris Moody, uh, was speaking with an Echo reporter yesterday and was saying that they are becoming a common part of the daily litter in the city. But Jenny is saying uh, she's out in the county with a, a local tidy towns group and they are everywhere. And that the batteries that are contained in these single-use vape products, that they're simply not being disposed of prop- properly. And according to Chris Moody, who is involved in clean-up pro- projects in his own area. He says that he's been finding them in the River Bride as well as in the drain culverts and in one incident he found 60 single-use vape products that had been discarded into the river. Isn't that incredible? He was speaking to the Echo and he said he's becoming really, really frustrated with this situation. It's a big bugbear of his and he said it's simply out of control. He doesn't know what the solution is. He said they do their best to try to clean them up but he's beginning to think that there must be a better way to deal with the problem. He suggested that perhaps manufacturers could be held responsible for the product's end of life and that certain items may be banned or maybe put some fine be put in, in place. Now it's the disposable vapes uh, is what he is talking about and he says the companies that make them uh, must realise that they will be discarded and as far as he knows there's no way to recycle them and the reason that they're hard to recycle is the makeup of the items the case for example is aluminium the top and bottom is made out of plastic and then there's this lithium ion battery there's also some electronics inside them and then obviously they're all covered with a plastic uh, case no way to re- recycle them uh, despite obviously there are recycled parts in them but you can't break them up to actually recycle them. So uh, Chris Moody, who lives in the city, has highlighted that the batteries will presumably leak eventually and that will be great for wildlife or great for our water uh, supply. He's part of cleanups around the city and he said he's also found car batteries. He's found AA batteries in the river along with an electronic scooter. And he said up in the Glen Park, he came across a motorbike that have been dumped into the river. What is wrong with 
with people. He says he doesn't know, do people think of the impact of dumping? He's been cleaning up areas of Cork City for the past six years and he said it really has been quite an eye-opener, particularly what is ending up in the drainage systems and what is ending up in our uh, rivers. He says he's come across polyester beads. You know those tiny little beads that are inside in a beanbag? Somebody decided to dump them and he said they ended up flowing through a river and obviously when they end up in a river they get eaten by fish, they get eaten by birds and it causes all kinds of wildlife um, uh, problem. And uh, one of the more unusual items he once uh, discovered was an iron that was buried in the bank of a river. He said God knows what else is in there if you were to dig into the river um, bank. It's just, it is crazy. And if you were to talk to anyone uh, like the gang who do the the Ballinamona down the, the, the coast, cleaning up of the coastline. I'm assuming that a lot of these vape products are going to end up in the sea because if they end up in the rivers, they ultimately end up out in the sea. And I'm wondering the next time we do a chat with Clean Coasts, I'll ask them, are they starting to see more of these single use vape pens? And the single use vape pens have become very popular. And a lot of people will say that by going vaping, myself included, I I took up vaping and and I gave up uh, cigarettes because of that. Um, But if you are using one of these single use vape pens, you've just got to please dispose of it responsibly. I mean, to me, even though there are parts that can be recycled, I think the, the, probably the only way is that they have to go in f- to landfill. But what I've noticed, because, you know, I would agree with uh, Jenny and certainly agree with uh, Chris Moody inside in the city. I've started seeing them on the side of the roads, on footpaths and, and stuff. And I'm assuming what's happening is people are out and about with their single-use vape pen and when they run out, they then have to be disposed of. And rather than popping it into your pocket, into your bag... And waiting until they get home, I assume some people are just tossing them away and that's how they, they are end, ending up. But there's going to be, there, there seems to be a proliferation of them at the moment. So the word to anybody who uses these single use vape pens, please dispose of them uh, responsibly because it's so unfair leaving, leaving it to the councils to do the clean up or the local tidy towns groups. And God knows where would we be with our local tidy towns volunteers. 0818 103 103. John Paul is taking your calls. We are gardening questions because Peter Dowdell will be joining us in the next hour. Something wrong with something in the garden that you're looking for advice. Get your questions into us now. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. We're going to take a break though and head to the news at 12 midday. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, Mike has contacted us from the Knocknaheeny area of uh, the city and he has outlined to us that he's suffering from a number of health conditions and he lives in an apartment block in Knocknaheeny and the lift in the apartment block is out of action. I don't know long how long it's out of action, uh, but he needs to, because of his health conditions, he's not able to physically go up and down the stairs himself. He can only use the lift. So because the lift isn't working. I don't know how long it's been out of action. He contacted us today to say he literally is feeling trapped in his own home. He's a city council uh, tenant. So we've 
contacted the City Council just to see if they can give us any idea on when this lift is going to be sorted out so that we can get on to poor Mike, who, as I say, he's feeling like a prisoner in his own home. So fingers crossed that we'll get that sorted out sooner rather than later. And Mike, hope you're doing uh, OK. Hang in there. 0818103103. Morris has been on uh, to say he thinks it is so wrong that some landowners are great at keeping their hedges cut and more leave them grow half across the road and the bushes and the trees and they don't look after them at all. He said he feels that these landowners should be fined. He says, next time, Patricia, you have councillors on your programme. Would you please ask them about this? My car is destroyed. I don't know where Morris is driving, but whatever area he's in, he obviously comes across a lot of landowners who are not looking after uh, their hedges. And they're, we're, we're into the nesting season, so they shouldn't be cutting them at the moment unless it's a health and safety issue for vehicles. And I don't know if health and safety constitutes damaging your car. I imagine if your car has been damaged, they must be very, very overgrown. Uh, by the way, seeing as I've mentioned overgrown and hedges. If you've got a question for Peter, can you get those into us please? Peter Dowdell, our resident gardener, will be joining us in a couple of minutes on the programme. Something you want done in the garden or something you're planning to do in the garden. You're hardly out gardening today. Let us know that if you've got a question for Peter, 0818 103 103. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. A listener wasn't happy when I mentioned that Tourism Ireland's Global Greening Initiative has been put on pause this year the Global Greening Campaign every year. It sees landmarks from Rio de Janeiro to Sydney in Australia light up green and obviously Tourism Ireland get on to all of the maybe it's the the embassies in all of the different countries but they ask them to light up whatever their landmark building is and to light it up green and it's one of those initiatives and campaigns that has gotten extremely popular. It started out very small but in the last number of years, certainly pre-pandemic, there was just more and more landmark buildings from around the world that went green for St. Patrick's uh, Day and it was a lovely uh, idea and of course Tourism Ireland's plan all their idea behind it was that you know it shows a spotlight on Ireland for our, for that one day of the year but this year they have decided to put the initiative on a temporary pause and they say it's due to the global energy crisis so for that uh, reason they're not asking any of the countries to light up their buildings this year and not to have them go green. Somebody is not happy with that said it's St. Patrick's Day at the end of the day it's our day I would hope that all of those buildings from around the world will light up green for God's sake it's only one day of the year let us to be let us be able to enjoy it if anything the government should be staying at home this week and looking after the country and looking after the homeless uh, people and of course we have none for the first time ever we have all the senior and junior ministers are all out of uh, the country all flying the flag for Ireland on the vape pens that we mentioned and this was Jenny who has noticed she is involved with Tidy Towns and has just noticed of late there's just so many of these disposable vape products people are using them and once they are finished they're just dumping them and they're ending up all over the place somebody says on the vape pens could the companies or the shops not offer some kind of a refund if people return them I live in a rural area and I'm picking them up 
constantly uh, thanking you. And that's not a bad suggestion to do some kind of a deposit and return scheme. We know we're going to be all getting into deposit and return schemes when it comes to plastic bottles. I think that's from uh, next year. But could they not look at something like that, that when you buy these disposable vape pens, you'd be charged maybe an extra euro? Um, and then what happens is when the vape pen is finished, you'd go back and you get your euro deposit uh, back. I think a deposit and return scheme uh, certainly is something that should be uh, looked at. And I think as we're starting to get more calls in about this uh, and we're going to see more and more of these being dumped. And I think it's only when that happens that the powers that be will realise, yes, we have a massive problem when it comes to these vape products and something needs to be done about it and maybe then and only then they will look at doing some kind of a deposit and return scheme. So thank you for your calls and texts on those items. And I want to give a mention to a documentary that I'm looking forward to seeing. It is airing tonight on TG Cahar at half past nine. And part of this documentary will tell us that there has been no requirement for an increased policing presence in any area where asylum seekers or refugees has moved uh, in, in. And this documentary series is looking at the rising immigration movement in Ireland. In a statement, the Gardaí say, there has been no significant increase in crime statistics as a result of the increase in asylum seekers arriving in Ireland. The Department of Justice also say there's absolutely no evidence of a link between the number of asylum seekers in Ireland and a corresponding increase in uh, crime. Now, notwithstanding isolated local incidents and we've had a few of them, God knows, here in our own area here in Cork and Garda Siakona have not recorded any significant increase in criminal activity or public order issues directly caused by either international protection applicants or any of the Ukrainian refugees and that's coming directly from Garda headquarters and Garda Siakona has not seen a requirement for example to increase resources in an area directly due to say you know an asylum centre opening or a direct provision centre uh, opening and the statement will feature it's in a documentary on TG Cahar tonight by the journalist Kevin McGee I think Kevin McGee is that the same journalist who did the recent one on Creaselock. He did a documentary on that uh, as well. And Kevin McGee has been going around the country and he's been looking at the recent increase in anti- immigration sentiments that unfortunately has been springing up all over the country. So in the documentary tonight on TG Carr at half nine, um, it will interview um, anti-immigration activists as well as locusts, locals who are frustrated about the lack of communication between government on asylum seeker accommodation. I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, problems that people feel there's no communication when it's decided that an area is going to take in a number of asylum seekers or uh, refugees. So So uh, Kevin is going to chat with people, some of the anti-immigration activists. The programme will also detail the effect of this campaign on people of colour in uh, Ireland and how false information on asylum seekers is so easily being spread online. And to me, this is the big, big danger. It's the false information that is out there. Um, For example, in recent months, uh, false reports of attacks by migrants, they've spread rapidly on social media. And of course, somebody reads it on Facebook and says, oh, it must be true. It must be true. And of course, there was an inaccurate claim that a migrant was behind a sexual attack in Finglas in Dublin. And because that particular uh, inaccurate report was so widely spread on social media, the Gardaí were forced 
to come out. There was protests outside Fingless Garda station, but the Garda themselves had to come out and say, actually, yes, we are looking into uh, a case of sexual assault in the Fingless area, but we're not looking for a migrant. They actually came out and said they were looking for a, a white Irishman. And that was such an unusual thing for the Garda to do. But I think the spread of misinformation just got completely out of hand that they felt they had to do something to try to stop the misinformation. I don't think I've ever heard the Gardaí come out with a statement like that before. Other false information includes a leaflet claiming to be from the government asking girls to stay inside after 6pm. And as I say, this was claiming to be from the government and they say it's due to the fact that of new arrivals in the area. Then there was also a video of a convoy of buses and the claim was that they were transporting asylum seekers but it turned out that the buses were actually bringing children to sports events but somebody just filmed all of these buses and said oh look busloads of asylum seekers are being brought into a particular area and because of the way the information environment operates online any of these false claims then are shared rapidly and the claim that it makes and the anger and the frustration that it might foster starts to get shared very, very uh, rapidly. The programme or interviews Dara um, Adelaide. Now Dara Adelaide is from Clondalkham and he said he first experienced racism when he was travelling in the car with his father and somebody shouted at them, why don't you go back to Africa? On another occasion he was travelling on a bus Somebody tried to set his hair on fire before he said started to make very, very ugly uh, comments. Dara Adelaide, whose father is from Nigeria, said racism is sadly on the increase in this country. He said, I don't know of anyone of colour who hasn't experienced it in Ireland. He said, my siblings, my friends from school, my friends in college, anyone of colour or anyone with a parent who originally came from abroad, they have all seen it and they've all experienced some kind of uh, behaviour uh, that is uh, that is deemed racist. And ninety, he said, ninety nine percent of Irish people don't engage in racism, but racism unfortunately is present in Ireland. Yeah, and the more misinformation get, that gets spread, the worse that it becomes. So it's a program that I think will be worth watching tonight. I certainly will sit down and watch it. It's on TG Car at half past nine. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text. You can WhatsApp to oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. With a reminder that we are looking for. Gardening questions for Peter, please. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. In Ascara's Historical Society, they have a guest speaker tonight. It's Richard Forrest. Richard will speak on Modest Martin, the history of a local mid Cork river. It's on tonight, Tripsy National School, 8 o'clock start. Non members are welcome, and the Mission charge is just three euro. A 45 car drive in aid of Dunmanway Community Hospital will be held tonight. It's in Cox's Hall in Dunmanway. Half eight start, refreshments and spot prizes. The annual Irish Coffee. 
coffee and tea morning will be held on St. Patrick's Day in Horgan's Lounge, High Street in Newmarket. It starts at 11 o'clock on Friday. This year, the proceeds will go to the upkeep of the town park and to local charities. And Skull St. Patrick's Day Parade takes place on Friday, half past two. Floats to organise at the Garda Barracks, please, in Skull at 1.45. And entries will be accepted on the day. And please note the team, the theme is Falta this year and the Grand Marshal will be new community members. Good luck to everybody there. And saying the Canturk St. Patrick's Day Parade, they've also got a half to start. It's on the New Link Road that's near the new school, proceeding across Mill Road, down Percival Street, through Main Street, turning right down Stan Street, where it will pass the reviewing stand and uh, end. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. John in Cove, when I mentioned that uh, all of our, the senior government ministers and the junior ministers and some others, some senators, have all left the shores. They're all flying the flag for Ireland for St. Patrick's uh, Day. He feels, he feels those that have left the, left the country for St. Patrick's uh, Day, he says in my in John's opinion the tricolour means nothing to these politicians they shouldn't be leaving they've gone all over the world at the taxpayers expense the current the country basically is on its knees with housing and other issues uh, when I was growing up says John in Cove St. Patrick's Day used to be for one day only 17th of March now it's become a three day event it's all about greed and it's about um, it's a money spinning event well for businesses businesses can make money out of it and I don't think anyone would stop the businesses making money out of it and it's become more of a tourist attraction John maybe from when you were younger so people come and they will come for like certainly when it it falls around the weekend it's great for tourism because people will come and and stay for the whole weekend and that's certainly good for for the tourism products uh, in this country 0818103103 and Jur has been back on to us Jur was on to us yesterday who had the problem with his son's passport they're flying out at the weekend going to Scotland for a uh, match flying with Ryanair but his son's passport hadn't arrived and he was on to us to see could we find out can you fly between Ireland and Scotland without a passport would they accept some other kind of valid ID now I checked on Ryanair's website and it looked like no they only wanted a valid passport but then somebody was on to say that they were in England and that somebody the very they were at the the boarding the about to board the plane and somebody had the same problem that their passport hadn't come back in time but the person was able to show online that everything was gone with the passport office and that person was allowed to board the plane but that was in England and I was saying to make contact with Ryanair because what I didn't want was to turn up at the airport and then to discover no sorry you know, them's are the rules. You can't get on the plane without a, a passport. So Jar was back on uh, to say he ended up booking other flights with Aer Lingus because obviously Aer Lingus will take other forms of ID because he just couldn't get a definite answer from Ryanair. Problem is, booking the flights yesterday for travel this weekend, it has ended up costing Jar four times the original 
price. He did get back onto the passport to be told you never uploaded, uh, Ger never uploaded his son's social services card. Ger says we were never asked for the social services card. The person said, oh, it depends on who's doing the application. Some look for it and some don't. Oh, how frustrating is that? She also said to ring again today in case the passport might be ready. But, says Ger, we couldn't take the chance. We simply had to rebook the flights. Last week, they looked for a copy of my passport, sent that off. The week before, they looked for a new photo weren't happy with the original photograph of my son we sent that off and on the passport tracker it said three weeks ago that it would be issued on the 22nd of February and here we are on the 15th of March and they still don't have the passport that's really really frustrating listen have a wonderful just try and put it behind you have a wonderful weekend even though it's going to cost you an awful lot more but Ger talking about going over to a match was absolutely thrilled to see the announcement by the Ireland women's rugby uh, team on something that's been described as a historic decision. They are switching from the traditional white shorts that the Ireland women's rugby team have had to wear up to now and they are changing instead to navy and this is in a response to the players' period anxiety and I think this is such a good news story particularly for young girls who take part in team events and and have been forced to date to wear white shorts because white shorts were part of the official team uh, kit and the period anxiety it has caused uh, for countless generations of women. So this is a really, really good, good news story. The IRFU made the announcement that they are, the switch was facilitated by their kit supplier, their kit supplier are Canterbury and it was in response to players expressing concerns about having to play in white shorts during certain times of the month i.e. when they have their periods. As Ireland's international Vicky Irwin said yesterday welcome to 2023 and another of Ireland's uh, team uh, Enya Breen said the top way to ensure we perform at our best on the field is by removing any unnecessary distraction. She said wearing navy shorts instead of white shorts is such a small thing. But she said for us, it's a big, big step from Canterbury who make the kit and also for the IRFU. She said our hope is that it will help women at all levels of rugby feel more comfortable on the field so that they can get on with performing at their best in the game. And it's a game which obviously they all love. Now, such switches are becoming increasingly common in women's sports right around the world. You may remember last November, Wimbledon announced that it's easy. Now, Wimbledon have a very strict all-white dress code. But last November, they announced that they would be allowing female tennis players to wear coloured undershorts. So they still have the white and the little white skirt and they'll still have the white top but undershorts can be a different colour and that's going to happen in this summer's uh, uh, Wimbledon Championship and that's to relieve um, they said a potential source of anxiety. And seemingly even here at home, counties such as Antrim and Kerry, they've led the way in changing uh, the shorts of their kits to darker colours for their women's Gaelic football teams and while the trend is growing too in soccer clubs seemingly across the water Manchester City and uh, up north Belfast Linfield they've all taken the same route the IRFU has now become the first of the six nations competitors to make this move and the team will wear the navy shorts for the duration of this 
tournament which kicks off on Saturday week the 21st of March so best of luck to the girls on the pitch as well but a great move by the IRFU to go to navy dark navy shorts rather than the white shorts 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls gardening questions please for Peter Dowdle text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. C103 presents the Clonakilty Park Hotel West Cork Rally on March 17th to 19th in Clonakilty. <laughs> The cream of Irish and British rally stars come to take on the roads of West Cork. Action gets underway with the ceremonial start in Clonakilty Town Centre on Friday night, March 17th. The Clonakilty Park Hotel West Cork Rally. Fun and excitement for all the family. March 17th to 19th in Clonakilty with Cork's greatest hits, C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Even on this wet, miserable day, we're still thinking of what we can be doing in the garden. Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com, uh, joins me. Uh, good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very, I'm very well, but uh, not a day to be out in the garden, but it's definitely a day to start doing the planning and to be thinking about things we could be doing. Do you know, I'm one of those very strange people that I actually love being out in the rain. But... Um, <laughs> So I'm in the right I'm in the right country, but I'm not out in it today. No, I'm doing I'm doing a bit of planning and a bit of yeah, a bit of designing and planning is what we're at. Okay, Liz is thinking of that very same thing of planning for the future. She's got an area of what she describes as rough grass. She'd like to plant wild flowers in this particular part of the garden. Do I need to completely remove the grass, or would raking just do? Thanking you, that's from Elizabeth. You have one of two ways, really, or one of three ways to to establish wildflowers in that area. The first, Patricia, is actually do nothing and just let the wild grass do its own thing. Let it it be wild. And if you stop mowing it and stop treating it with anything, uh, you'll be amazed to see the amount of new species that will emerge. So that's number one. Um, the second approach is you could leave the grass there and just remove pockets of it. So just you, you so when you're put if you're putting on any kind of seed, it has to, you can't just throw it on grass. It has to make contact with the soil, or else it can't germinate, right? So, but instead of removing all of it, you could just remove packets of it, or pockets of it, and 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 put little put wildflower seed into those little pockets of soil where you've exposed the soil. Now, if it's very grassy, a good thing to put in there would be yellow rattles. So just yellow rattle seeds because that. It's kind of a somewhat of a parasitic plant. It's not quite, but it, it weakens the grass. Uh, because So if you want more wildflowers and less grass, yellow rattle is a good one to start with because it weakens the grass, enabling more space and light for other plants. Thirdly, you could remove uh, all of the existing vegetation, all the rough grass, remove it uh, and just expose the soil. Bearing in mind, any wildflower seed wants very poor soil, nutrient poor soil. So the opposite to what we normally do in the garden. We don't want uh, good quality, rich compost or anything like that. So just remove the, the, the grass that's there and put down so, some fresh wildflower seed and should germinate fairly soon at this time of the year, I would think. And a great thing to do. You're a big fan of it. Fabulous. A fabulous thing to do because it, particularly if you're going with a native mix or even just the rewilding that I said there, even just depending where you are, not everybody obviously is 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 up for rewilding their whole garden. But if it's a patch of overgrown grass and if it's in a rural situation, I'd be all in favour of just leave well alone and let nature do whatever it wants with it. Okay, um, this is from Baz in Bantry. When is the best time to take cuttings from camellias? Can it be done now? 
says Baz uh, in Bantry where the weather is absolutely awful with rain at the moment. <laughs> I think it's it's county wide, Baz. Don't worry about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think it's just Bantry. Uh, no, it's too early in the year to be taking cuttings from camellias. So camellias are a difficult enough one to, to take from cutting, actually. Um, that's not to say don't give it a go, but I would do it in kind of late summer, early autumn, July, August, September, that time of the year. Uh, and I remember we used to grow them commercially and they were, they were um, the propagation benches had a soil cable or heating cables in the soil. So they needed heat from underneath to promote rooting. So obviously in a domestic situation, we're not going to do that. But just bear that in mind. Give it, give them somewhere kind of warm enough when you're when you're trying to promote the roots. Um, July, July, August, September, as I say, but they're not the easiest to get to root. OK, Janet has been on to say she has purchased yellow rattle seeds from you, from your good self. When is the best time to plant them? What are no, these yellow no, rattle what, what are these yellow rattle seeds? You just mentioned them there a minute ago. Well, yeah, you, if you Google them online, you'll recognise them. It's, it's just a kind of a yellow wildflower but okay. because it weakens the grass. It's a brilliant thing for, like I was saying there at the, at the start, for, for filling in pockets or if you have a wildflower area and if grass is taking over, it's just a bit too vigorous. Put in so It's a native Irish seed, native Irish plant and just put in some yellow rattle and it'll work in, in combination with it. But in terms of the best time to do it, it's now really you want to be after the winter the, 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 for them to germinate. Okay, hi Peter. How do you get rid of fat pigs from the garden? They ruined my crop last year, says Liam. Now, lots of people call these different names. That's kind of the wood, wood lice, lice, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How yeah, do you, yeah. they ruined a crop on Liam? I wonder what group, crop they ruined on them. I, I, that's interesting. I don't know what crop they ruined on them. And the answer, I'm afraid, the short answer to Liam's question is uh, uh, you, you won't really get rid of them. Um, it's it's like the, it's it's back to kind of cultural control and cultural methods. So they like, as you know, I mean, anyone who's lifted a, a damp rock in the ground or anything and lifted up, and then there's hundreds of thousands of these fat pigs of woodlice go crawling. Um, so if you can kind of remove anything like that from the area, so like remove nesting habitats or areas that they're going to like. But to the best of my knowledge, unless anybody else has information that they could ring in with, um, I, I don't really know of any magic trick with woodlice. It's un, it's unusual for them to cause any harm in the garden we don't want them indoors obviously but in the garden i don't think they're they're they're, they're more and in the garden i'm always i'm loath to try and control an insect i'm much rather let nature deal with it and you know try and promote the natural balance that 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 with enough species in the garden you won't you'll prevent an unnatural buildup of one so uh, i wouldn't be going out there at all with any pesticide chemical or anything like that it's more in terms of cultural control and try and remove any natural nesting patches that they might have around around the crop Okay. Hi, uh, Peter. What feed would you suggest I give my magnolia tree and a lilac tree? And when is the best time to feed both? Well, depending on how mature they are, because you may not need to feed them. Now, if they're relatively new in the ground, uh, the magnolia, let's start with the magnolia. So the magnolia, unless it's magnolia stellata, which is that star-shaped flower, one of the beautiful, they're in flower at the moment. Uh, if it's accept uh, that one so all the other magnolias do like an acid soil so they might benefit from a, a feed with something like sequestered iron to kind of or, or any there's a lot of things it's basically sequestered iron but that they could be it could be marketed in a different a number of different ways like ericaceous plant food or acid plant tonic but they're, they're all really based on sequestered iron so that at this time of the year for overall vigor of the magnolia would be a good feed but come kind of july it's July, August, September again is when that magnolia sets its flower buds for next year. So in other words, if there's no flower buds on it now, it's too late for this spring. It's not going to magically happen. But come July, give it a feed with a good organic tomato food, a good rich organic tomato food 
uh, or even a sulfate of potash because that will help to promote buds in it for next year. Now, bear in mind, if it's a young plant, some magnolias can take up to 15 years to oh. plant. I was just talking, I was talking to a friend of mine, actually, we were talking about a particular magnolia up in the fantastic Kilmacurra up in County Wicklow. Uh, and Seamus O'Brien, who's the head gardener up there, fantastic guy. He was, he was telling me about the Magnolia Campbelli, which he told me about before. It travelled all the way as a seedling from Calcutta in 1876, but mm. it took 31 years for it before it flowered. So, patience, patience, well, you, patience. All, you always say that if you're going to be a gardener, yeah, you, do, yeah. you do need to be patient. Uh, hi, Peter. Yeah. How do you get rid of red clover mites? They're tiny red bugs and they seem to invade my garden every year. Again, I'm not too worried about the, I know the things, I, I hadn't heard them referred to as that, but I know exactly what, they, what they're, they're like tiny, tiny red spiders. Uh, I don't, I don't regard them as a problem. And to the best of my knowledge, now again, I'm open to correction on this, but to the best of my knowledge, they don't cause any trouble. Apart from, you, you might find them a bit unsightly. They don't bother me. But I, I suppose the short answer to the question is, I don't have a, a, an answer for that or a cure for that, uh, except living with it, I'm afraid. Okay, uh, Larry's in for Moy. He is taking out a Grisolinia hedge this year. It's there about 20 years, but over last winter, patches of it have started to die out. So he's decided to take out the whole thing. And he's wondering, what would you suggest replacing a Grisolinia hedge with? Did, did you say where he was from? Where he was from? Moy. From Moy. From Moy. From oil, okay. So, if it, okay, the reason I ask that, because if you're in a rural situation and you're taking out a, a grisslinia hedge, it might be nice to reintroduce a mixed species hedge and, and kind of a, in following on from what we were talking about there with wildflowers and things, uh, the benefit of a mixed species hedge is, you know, obviously the more diversity of species in the hedge, the more species of insect and wildlife that it'll, it'll sustain. So if it's in a rural situation, a nice mixed species hedge of, again, native species, like, you know, you're looking at... Um, holly, maybe whitethorn, blackthorn, rosa rugosa, maybe the viburnum, the gelder rose. They're all nice species to mix in in a rural situation, even in an urban situation. But the the single species hedge where you have just grislinia and you want to replace it with a different species, um, uh, you could look at something like Eliagnus, which is a mouthful of a name, Trish, but it's a lovely, lovely hedge. It's uh, Eliagnus ebingii, and I'm afraid it doesn't really have a common name. I'm sorry. Um, but that's a lovely kind of grey or silver leafed hedge. It grows about, the, it's lower than the Grisolinia, but it grows to about the same thickness and the same height. If you want to maintain a hedge around five or six feet, it's a good one. Um, there are loads out there. You could also try the Portuguese laurel. Beaches, of course, is my favourite of all. Or if you didn't want to go quite into the mixed species, you know, too much, you could go just a mixture, let's say, of beech and holly, which can make a lovely hedge as well. It does really depend on a lot of things. Number one, I suppose, what you like uh, in terms of single species or mixture. Uh, and then number two, you're looking at the aspect in terms of sunlight, exposure to wind, soil type. A lot of things to bear in mind, but mm -hmm. hopefully there's a few suggestions there. that will can, can there be a lot of work in having, you know, a really well-maintained hedge? Oh, yes. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, it, I suppose it's like everything in the garden, Trish. It, it's the right plant in the right place. So if you if you want to maintain a hedge, let, let's use an extreme, if you want to maintain a hedge at, at two feet high and you plant common laurel, which wants to get to 20 feet high, yeah. you've given yourself a huge job of maintenance. You're going to be cutting it back forever, like five times a year. However, if you put in, like I'm talking about there, the Eliagnus, if you put in a, a, a hedge of Eliagnus, and you want to hedge at five or six foot, it's not going to be that high maintenance because it's not quick growing. So it, again, it all depends. To, there is maintenance, definitely, but it, it's it's the right plant in the right place. OK, Jim wants to know, just Peter, please, is it OK to spray apple trees for scab now? And what is the best spray that you would suggest? 
I would drench them. And it's a kind of timely question, actually, because a lot of the, the most of the apples now are at the point of bud burst, which is where their 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 dormant leaf buds are just emerging into growth in this fabulous spring season. Um, so at the point of bud burst is when I would treat it with a drench of copper sulfate and water. And what that it will do, it's a kind of broad spectrum fungicide. And, and for things like scava and this on, on apples, prevention I always find is better than cure so in the first instance you're looking at good pruning which we might talk about a different day during the winter um, but now then you, you treat it with this is uh, this copper sulfate mixed with water now it is licensed for use organically in organic farming and organic horticulture but the, the term is under under guidance or under license what that means really in effect is maximum of once a year so do it at the right time which is now because prevent it's much easier to prevent these infections than it is to and treat them to once, deal, once the apple has with it. Yeah. Okay, would, what would Peter suggest? Do you use the long gold liquid or the dry stuff which is better for moss on lawns and is now the right time to be thinking about it? Well, yes, it is, I suppose. Yeah, the, the, to the best of my knowledge, the long gold liquid, I think is long gold 24 is what it's called. And I think I'm 90% sure I'm right in saying that that is... Um, what they used to call instant green. So it's a, it's a way of greening up your lawn instantly um, and it will kill the moss but because it's basically iron sulphate. So it will it will kill the moss um, and green up your lawn. So if you want a quick fix, that's probably the way forward. However, if you want a kind of longer term and a more gradual and slower approach, but probably a, a longer, effect, more effective approach, I would use the, the lawn gold granules because they're turning the soil more alkaline and creating the perfect conditions for good grass growth uh, as opposed to just giving a quick fix, which may lead to the moss coming back. OK, we're staying on hedges. Sheila planted a red robin hedge uh, last year, is wondering, should she feed it this year? She did feed it last year with some kind of granules. I'd say it'll be no harm if you give it a good liquid, a liquid, uh, a liquid seaweed feed. That should, that should be good for it. So, but yes, it'll do it no harm. OK, all right. Listen, that's where we leave it. Um, how, are you busy with your online stuff? We're very busy. We started off these online consultations yeah. a couple of weeks ago, as you know, we're, we're pretty much booked out. But if I could very quickly mention, Trish, on the 25th of March, I know you're under pressure for time, no, but okay. I'll be in K Landscape. I'll be in uh, K Landscapes in Ovens, which used to be a lot of people will know it was Irish Aggregates. Uh, well, they've, they've, they're kind of relaunching, if you like, their paving centre there and they're holding a, a product showcase on the 25th of March. I'll be there to, doing questions and answers with everybody and there'll be six or seven other landscape gardeners there offering free advice so, and, and uh, reading their blurb, enjoy free tea, coffee and refreshments, entertain yeah. the kids with face painting, etc. So 25th of March, K Landscapes and Ovens. And a chance to meet up with the wonderful Peter Dowdle. What more would you want? Listen, uh, good luck <laughs> with that and thanks a million for joining us. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Trish. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com. On the ministers uh, heading out of Ireland and heading all around the world to fly the flag for Ireland. Somebody says, Trisha, why does it take two ministers to deliver a shamrock to the White House? Is it one to carry the bowl and one to carry the shamrock? Would it not be a lot cheaper to fly the shamrock over with uh, DHL? Okay. And uh, thank you to someone who wants to point out that the Cork ladies also wear navy shorts now too. Oh, I didn't realise that. Thank you uh, for that when I was talking about the football, the rugby uh, union are transferred over to uh, Navy and there was some other GAA uh, counties have done as well. I didn't realise that the Cork ladies have as well. So thank you for pointing that out. Staying on sport, don't forget the Premier League live with on C103.ie is back with uh, Trevor Welch this Saturday, two o'clock, powered by Talk Sport. Coverage of Southampton versus Spurs.
Palace at three and then Chelsea are having a great run at the moment taking on Everton at half five. That's the Premier League live online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. Listen Saturdays on the C103 app or go to c103.ie. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.